Are you wanting to create a highly prosperous photography business doing what you love? Or maybe you have a great business already and want to up your game? Then you're in the right place. Master craftsman photographer Lucy Dumas and her guests are here to support you on your journey. Now here's your hostess and tour guide, Lucy. Be a business person who happens to be a photographer and not the other way around. And that is by an incredible photographer and teacher, Jerry Guionis. Welcome, welcome, welcome again to The Profitable Photographer. I am super excited to introduce someone that I'm going to get to know along with y'all. She's from Texas, so I think she'll let me say that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Before that, I just want to remind you that uh, sharing is caring and I would love to have more people listening to these incredible photographers that I am privileged to sit in my little house in San Diego and have conversations. So um, please post, share, email, tell your friends. Okay, so Allison Carlino is our guest today. She is a photographer and an educator, and she teaches around the world. She is a former master degreed elementary school teacher. So she is able to relate to students both technically and personally. In her 18th year of business, she now hosts multiple and single day workshops on the topic of off-camera flash, modern posing, sports and seniors, and the really fun thing, night photography. She is a member, teaches and judges for WPPI, PPA, SWPP in London, PPGH. I'm getting, I wonder if you can uh, overdose on, on <laughs> initials. And she's doing a week-long class at Texas School. Uh, she's a part of Texas PPA, sync Sports. She's everywhere. Uh, Alice and Faith Fine Art Photography showcases her landscape and night sky. If you want to check that out. And Miller's is her sponsor and she's a speaker for their team. So Allison, thank you so much for saying yes when I invited you to join. You're welcome. So Allison, um, I'd like to find out a little, like a, like a minute, minute and a half of where you came from, how you got into this fun, crazy, exciting profession or photography in general. Sure. Uh, Thank you again for having me, and I look forward to getting to know you a little bit as well today. Uh, This is my 18th year. Before photography, I taught fourth grade for a while in the classrooms, and um, like a lot of women do, they decide it's time to have a family and had a couple kiddos, stayed home from teaching, never went back to the professional classroom, at least in the public education. Forum, um, stayed home, started taking pictures of my kiddos, realized real quickly how bad they were, and got every <laughs> kind of mentor, workshop, shop, uh, convention access that I could uh, for many years. And um, I think I second shot under a wedding photographer for a while before I did my own. Uh, I think it was probably three years into my career before I ever touched a flash. I was terrified at the beginning. Mm-hmm. And here I am teaching about it. So it's, awesome. it's proof that somebody can pick it up and learn it. And um, while I do have a craftsman degree and a CPP license from uh, PPA, 
um, my degrees are in elementary education and my master's is in educational technology. So I'm not a um, degreed photographer in the sense of a public university. Got it. So you did all the work to get a degree and master's degree in teaching. How do you think having um, that background helps you in the photography world? It helps me by the fact that I know how to actually write out a lesson plan with demonstrations and, and how to use my voice to different levels, how to work in live demonstration. Um, you know, teaching, you relate to people, you have to be not afraid to be personable and reachable um, and get right in with your hands on. So I do very little lecturing in my workshops and mostly hands on. Mm. And how does it help in your photography? having your teacher background? I'd say it would help mostly in the wedding realm when it's time to get everybody together on the altar for photos. And I've got a list <laughs> from a bride. My teacher voice comes out yeah, and I'm able to quickly run through organization wise and call out those. But on the staff side, I have six people that work for me. So oh. being able to organize uh, and run that effectively and efficiently on set, uh, being on time, you know, being early to set up, um, coaches love that kind of thing. So it's or being organized and efficient has won me more bookings um, than other people. Right, right. Yeah. And I really appreciate how when you decided you were going for it, you got education in this industry. And um, is, is that what you might recommend for people that are, that are just starting and have a dream um, I notice people be like, well, I can't afford it. I can't afford to go to convention. I can't afford, I don't know, fill in the blank. So what are yeah. your thoughts about that? You know, you started the podcast with a quote from Jerry Guionis, who I have, he has been a mentor to me. I have spent a week with him uh, learning all his techniques and business practices. And he mentions that you really need to be a business person that happens to be a photographer and not the other way around. It's, unless you don't want to make a career out of this. If you're just doing this for fun and you don't want to go and sell and learn business strategies, then fine, be a photographer and love every minute of it. Um, but you really need to understand business practices in order to make it long-term in this industry, especially after COVID years that we've had, um, using that time to, to regroup and really reach out to your clients and, and firm up your practices that you've, that you've been working on. So, I, you know, it, repeat the question again, make sure I've answered it. Um, I, I was asking, I love that because I totally agree. I was asking about um, people who think they can't afford to go to schools and, um, and have mentors and, you know, all of that. What, what happened with me is my, um, maybe it was my fourth or fifth year in business, I was considering going to a week-long class like Texas School that you'll be teaching at. I'm not sure if that's good grammar, but <laughs> you'll be teaching at Texas School. We also have West Coast School in California. And I was like, I don't know if I can afford this. And somebody said, it's going to put your career on warp drive. You will get that money back so fast. And it was absolutely right. And over the course of my career, I probably attended West Coast School 20 times. 
So what I was asking you is about the, the ability to afford education or what, you know, just your thoughts for people that are hesitating yeah. to invest. It only works, Lucy, if you come home and actually put things into play. Ah. And I've had people that will, I'll follow up with my students and I know that they're not trying certain things and that's, that's their choice. But if you come home and you put it into play, you can't do anything, but at least try. Mm -hmm. And that's, you know, if you're not able to be at that position where you have time away from your kids or you have the money to invest in flying out and hotels and convention fees, it's very expensive. Mm -hmm. um, I thank my students for investing in their education every time I teach on the stage because I know that the commitment it takes, especially as a, a mom, to be out there right. uh, to do that. But um, if you cannot afford that investment and it's not the right time in your life to be out there, then there's got to be someone local like myself that welcomes people to um, attend one or two of their sessions. No, no charge. This is something where if you'll lug gear and want to learn from me, I'll be happy to let you attend one or two. Mm -hmm. And I'm, I'm the continual lifestyle teacher where I'm always welcoming folks to do that, mm -hmm. whether it's my sports, my wedding, my night sky, um, there, there are certain points where it's, it gets down to workshop only, but if you're looking for an overview to see what it's like before you ever jump in, then maybe starting with a mentor is a good place to do that. That'll share their time with you. Great. Well, what I love about this and you, Allison, is it doesn't sound like you have any fear that someone's going to steal your secrets and then go do no. just what you do. <laughs> no. And I teach Fortunately, in my area in Sugarland, we're just we're inundated with people. We're we're right outside of Houston. We're 40 minutes from Houston, so there's thousands upon thousands of photographers, whether they're professional or they're weekend warriors. It doesn't matter. Uh, business is business when it comes down to the paying clients. So I have no problem teaching people within five minutes of my doorstep because honestly, a lot of those people will not go out there and put it into play. Mm -hmm. It's it's amazing. You know, they'll leave with the skills. They'll know how to do it, but they won't leave and, and go try it out in their own business. So what? And I respect that. Either they decided it's not for them, um, or they've decided that it's just not worth their effort. And I, I don't understand that because they leave fired up and then they go out and they don't do it. So I'm not scared to share my secrets. No, right. they're yeah. not secrets. They're just techniques that I've built from other people. Right. We we've learned it from others, as you just said. Um, I'm sure there's things you've figured out on your own that giving back to the industry, sharing those things. You know, I love the rising tide lifts all boats. And it sounds like you're, you and I are uh, on the same page with that, right? I think so. <laughs> we yeah, all bring each other up. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. Especially I find with uh, what has happened with the digital revolution and then and then COVID, I, I feel like there's more opportunity to learn either people who have a heart for teaching are more um, on fire to share and help people be professional so that we're, you know, we're all on a more similar playing field. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. Yeah. yeah. Um, so two topics and I know they're completely separate um, that I'd like to at least kind of I hate to word wish there was another word besides pick your brain okay <laughs> dig, dig dig into your wisdom and experience and um, share and one is about 
off-camera lighting. And the other, um, I think night sky is such a fun activity that I'd love for you to, um, you know, share your thoughts and tips on that. So let's start with off-camera lighting. And this is, this is when you're doing outdoor photography. Is that right? I use off-camera lighting indoor and outside. Okay. So um, I guess I'm just going to put it out to you to, I know you like the why or, or the value of that. Tell me about your background and how that can really change Change. You know, I mentioned to you that my first two and a half, three years, I didn't touch a flash. I was terrified of it. And I got to the point where I couldn't understand how people were getting those beautiful clouds and beautiful skies mm -hmm. and still being able to light the person's face. Um, digital cannot do both at both extremes. So that's where I had to know right then and there, I have to learn flash. I mm -hmm. have to figure out how they're lighting and holding those beautiful skies. So that was the journey in and the decision point as to why I had to learn it. And I think a lot of people are afraid of flash because they fear that it's going to be deer in the headlights, flat on, you know, no texture kind of light. So that's that's where my knowledge comes in and teaching people where what positions to move the stand, whether it's uh, to the left or right for short lighting or Rembrandt or if it's possibly overhead for butterfly. Uh, I love a good rim light to, athlete, to, to uh, highlight the athlete's muscles down the back of their body. Mm -hmm. And I love to put flashes facing walls with different gel colors on them to really make a, a disgusting location look beautiful. So lighting has a lot of possibilities to help you um, change the shadows of your work and also to bring things into existence that don't exist. I love to walk into a room and flatten it out, black it out, and then flip it into something that only my mind sees. And then flash allows me to do that. So can you give me an example of that? I love. Yeah, sure. When I was teaching at Imaging a couple years ago, they gave me a pre-con class where I was in a ballroom that was typical orange walls, orange floors, um, high ceilings with little tiny torch lights in it. So no windows, just a, a crap ballroom, basically. So and you're forced to make images in there. So if that's a real wedding for me and they give me 10 minutes and that's reality, I've got to figure out how to make something happen in 10 minutes. Mm -hmm. So I would go in and the first thing I would do would be what I call drown out the room. I would give it a low ISO, um, a sync speed, and then a F8 or something that's high. And so if you're doing something 200 ISO, 200 sync speed and F8, you're going to have a black room. Mm, okay. So if you black it out and then add your flashback in, you are painting with light. Ah. And how you add it, where you add it, draws the viewer's eye to that person's face. So I like to darken it. And then I like to bring back in my light to show you what I want you to see. Well, that's awesome. So uh, then do you like go around and if there are some things in the background that you highlight, do you add flash to that? Or can you kind of describe what you did in that ballroom well, unfortunately, there was nothing but four walls and a floor in the ballroom. There wasn't okay. even a pretty chandelier. Had there been something in the room that I would want to leave, I would expose for that highlight of the chandelier first. Mm -hmm. And then the, because it's so bright, everything else around it would go dark. Mm. So therefore, it would record in the image. So I expose for the highlights and then light in the shadows, anything mm -hmm. I want on the person's face. I, I, when I did weddings... Um, 
you know, we had to work the opposite, or at least I did during a wedding ceremony where they don't let you do flash. You, you use the highest ISO you can, which back when dinosaurs roamed the earth, Allison, uh, I started out and the only film was 100 ISO. And then they came out with 200 and then 400 and then 800, which was like a miracle. But I did a lot of weddings F4 at a fourth of a second on a tripod during the ceremony. Um, so, you know, my mind is like, oh, so whatever I was doing there, you flip it and do the opposite and bring in the lighting. Is that, am I on track? Yes, correct. Yes. When, I'm in, when I'm enforced to be in an interior, that's not so pretty. Yes. Yes. So can we talk about outdoor, you know, there's all kinds of lighting out in the world. There's the sun. Uh, mm -hmm. People, I think, especially early in their uh, learning about lighting career, love an overcast sky because um, they can just go out in the field and have families just there and they don't have to have lighting because there's there's this, you know, big giant softbox in the sky, big yeah. softbox in the sky. So talk to me about how using a dish additive lighting impacts or, well, I'll let you talk. So share with me why that isn't good enough or what uh, having the skills with additional lighting can do for people. If you're tempted to go outside on a cloudy day and not use any kind of off-camera flash, you're likely going to end up with no stray rays of bright sun all over their clothes. That's great. Those are called specular highlights. and You don't really want those. Um, but what you're going to have, unfortunately, is probably shadows underneath the chin that are undesirable, probably shadows underneath the eyes. Um, they're, you're not going to have the catch light, the sparkle in the eyes. And there's going to be no direction. It's going to be coming from... Uh, depending on what time of the day you're out there, let's say you're out on a cloudy, completely cloudy day between 10 and 3, the light is mostly overhead, maybe a little bit behind the head. And it's, you know, it's coming from above, there is light in the sky, but you're not going to have any direction and you're still going to have shadows that need to be cleaned up. Off camera flash gives you that crisp pop of light in a certain direction and you get to control that. So controlling the direction and the color and the quality and the contrast are all part of why you use off-camera flash to clean up that look. Color, quality, contrast. I love that. Yeah, That's I call it QQCD. So quality, QQ. quantity, color, and direction. Ah, yes. So yes, I often see people who um, are doing outdoor photography with overcast and I see what I call the raccoon eyes. Yeah. Where mm -hmm. it, to me, it's all about what's happening in the eyes. And I imagine you, you know, like, yes, it's all about everything else too. But if there's not nice light in the eyes. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, it yep. just doesn't pop. And people don't know sometimes why some things look better than others. But it, it to me, it all starts with that direction of light. Yes, direction eye. of light. Yep. Yeah. And, and I'll use, I say 95% of my work is off camera lit. And if you can't see it, then great that I've done my job. But sometimes mm -hmm. it is on purpose. It is to draw your eye directly where I want you to look and it will appear flash because I love color and drama. 
if there's mm. something that's you know defined my style over the last 10 years it's it's uh, bold colors and dramatic lighting mm. and that's Lovely. that's something i'm known for uh-huh um do you have mentors i know you said jerry is there anybody else that you specifically learned or were like oh my gosh look what i can do if i can learn how to use use this flash um i don't have mentors anymore i have ways that i gain inspiration outside the industry uh -huh. such as looking at sculpture and um even even food the way it's lit so industry outside of what i currently do is where i draw inspiration to bring it back in i love it um but i'm not currently I, it, it's probably been seven or eight years since i've attended a conference as a student mm -hmm. so but i think the more that you continue to talk about it the more you know it the more it's normal to you so it's it helps me continue learning myself when i'm right. teaching it right right yeah i you know been in this industry 40 years and when robert scott Lim hit the scene do you know i know him you know yes him? i don't know him well but i know of him yeah the first session that i or first seminar that i took and i saw that he was doing almost magical things with some very inexpensive flashes yeah um it it just was like what you just said about literally painting with light so yeah i love yeah. that you share that concept yeah. so it's not it's not a trick it's just what what you can do with light in the moment and it's you know i may be sponsored by a certain company but it's the right light or the right lens in your hands at the moment it's 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 seeing what you want to create with it more than it is the brand Right. So, right. Yeah. So can you talk a little about equipment or some of the technical aspects without having uh, visual and PowerPoints and things? I know it's it's yeah, tricky uh, to sure. talk about, uh, you know, the audio of things like that. But um, sure. In the main light, I'm using a strobe. It's an Ellen Chrome one. Um, I also use the 500 watts when I need more power. So it's like I said, it's the right tool for the right job. I'm not going to go around using the 500 everywhere. Mm -hmm. um, I use a speed light in the back for a little poof of rim light, or sometimes I'll put MagMod gear on there with grids and gels and colors. Mm -hmm. So I'm usually a main strobe in the front and either sunlight in the hair in the back, or if I've lost my sun, I'll fake sun with a speed light and a CTO gel, something orangish to warm it up. Can you, for people that don't know, what a strobe and a speed light is can you tell us the difference so a strobe is going to be a lot more power than a speed light on typical average it's going to take four or five speed lights to equal the power of one medium strobe okay do the strobes have modeling lights that you use they so do see what you're um, it is a what you see is what you get kind of thing um i and such a one shot girl that I set up and I roll. I have these recipes that I go for. So I I don't need to turn on a modeling light anymore unless I'm in a dark area where I can't catch focus. And that, that's what I would use it for is to catch focus. Mm -hmm. If you're learning strobe in the beginning, it does help to have a modeling lamp on there to see where the light shadow highlights a shadow is going to fall on the face. Mm -hmm. And so you are doing weddings as well as other, other things. So do you, bring that same equipment mm -hmm. like when when do you or when don't you use the strobe 
and a wedding. Uh, during the ceremony, I'm not using any kind of flash whatsoever. Mm -hmm. I don't work in venues that allow us to hide them in bushes and use them. So, right, right. During the vows, we don't use anything. Do you use on on camera flash if it's outdoors during wedding? Oh, uh, when they are coming down the aisle, yes, mm -hmm. or when they're recessing. But during the vows, everything is natural light. Okay, and then when you're doing the posed, then you bring out the mm -hmm. the big guns. Yes, I bring out a strobe with a circular soft box on the outside. Mm. Um, if I'm indoors in a church where I'm going to have 50 people on the altar, I'm not going to use a softbox because that's going to control the direction. I'll mm -hmm. use an umbrella. An umbrella is the cheapest, most basic form of soft light, light softener mm -hmm. where you, the light just sprays in all different directions. You don't really mm -hmm. control it. So when you have a group of 50 up there and you have two lights on the left and the right of the group, uh, an umbrella is a good choice to spray the light mm -hmm. and spread it softly. Uh, how close to the camera do you with with a group like that do you bring it close to the camera so that the shadows are more even no actually you put them at the edge of your group and you feather them which means turn them back in toward the bride in the middle so that your light and your shadows cross evenly left to right so you have two i have two for groups over 20. yeah yeah any other tips on how to light what to think about yeah. Try to envision it before you start getting confused with numbers and settings. Try to understand, uh -huh. are you looking for the light to fall from the front, from overhead, from behind? Like, what is your vision before you start getting confused with all the light placements and all? Got it. And if you don't know your vision, then that's where you need to do some research to understand even go on Pinterest and see what you're gravitating towards. Mm -hmm. Why do you like a certain style? Are you bright and airy or you, are you dark and dramatic? You have to know what style you even gravitate toward before you can learn to light it. Mm. Uh, and so why is off camera flash superior to just putting besides the power, why is on camera, direct flash um like why would somebody want to learn beyond that and take it off camera and do the work that it takes to have the right equipment and the right power and set up that on off camera can you share a little about that yeah off camera flash allows you to control the qqcd that we talked about earlier if, if you have something on camera it's going to fire four to five feet in front of you it's going to be flat it's going to give you no direction on the face. It's just going to be a white out like deer in the headlights on the face. You're not going to be able to look, make somebody look slimmer. By moving the camera off to the left or the right in short lighting, you can shoot into the shadow side of a woman's face and actually make her look slimmer. Um, it helps you contour, contour the jaw. If you mm -hmm. have somebody with a really long face, um, there's a different way to light that versus somebody that has more of a circular or a round face just had a picture of going from coloring book with a crayon to a painter that has a full array of paints bringing in white paint and dark paint to have that three dimension in that shape mm. so just like a coloring book is like on camera flash yeah yeah and then 
and then working with light because people who are painting they don't have flash they have to add the light and shadow to give depth sure but we're both doing a two-dimensional image that the more we make it three-dimensional the more yes. pleasing yes. it is and flattering it is so i've never thought about that before but yes you it sounds like or judging by your expression you kind of got what <laughs> what i I yes. was picturing yes. it. Yeah. So, okay, let's talk about money because this is the Profitable Photographer podcast. So how is this all translating? Like why would somebody want to uh, have more control, be able to do more things? What's the, what's the business value, the money value to that? Well, in Texas School of Professional Photography this year and the last two or three years, I've been teaching toward high school seniors and the senior cycle that happens the whole year with us from sports to individual sessions to family portraits. So I teach a cycle that supports my business all year long. It starts in the summer with bringing in the athletes. It goes on through the year with their personal sessions that we offer senior collections for. And then before you know it, mom's saying she needs a new family portrait and it's linked to credit card to Christmas cards. Mm -hmm. So that is a, one of the cycles that brings in money to my studio all year. Um, the hook to get them in the door is offering something that someone else is not. Uh, one of those things possibly for me is my fire spinning and my gels and fog. So mm. I do some really neat stuff at night with a high school senior that my ambient light friends down the road are terrified to try. So I bring them in uh, with new and interesting lighting techniques. And then I've got all year round marketing that applies to their pocketbook. And that helps your pocketbook. Right. <laughs> <laughs> the other thing that uh, just popped in my head, so many people that like to look on the not the bright side of life, but be like, uh, when you mentioned seniors, oh, we can't make good money at seniors anymore because the kids are doing their, their own work. You know, there's high school kids that are calling themselves senior photographers, photographing their friends. And what popped in my mind when you were, you know, sharing about all of that is, yeah, but they're not doing what you do. They don't, know how to yeah. make the depth and the dimension and yeah and they're not my spinning. competition right oh no. <laughs> right because there are people out there that would love what you do and they and obviously do because you're doing really well in your business so uh and so anything else before we talk about the super fun uh night sky photography um, any other thoughts? That no, you know what? Most of what I teach with off-camera lighting and modern posing is more, it's better learned in person. Right. And it's, it's not something I can relate to you over a virtual webinar, which is why I pushed in-person education so much as soon as COVID opened things back up again. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm not one of those that's going to be able to teach you through videos. You need to be doing it. You need to be right there in front of me messing it up so I can tell you how to fix it in the moment. Mm -hmm. uh, that being said, when is Texas school? Uh, that is the last week of April into the first couple days of my, uh, May. Mm -hmm. is, is there room in your class, do you know? 
I currently have uh, 16 of us and I only take 20. So the answer is yes. So as of sense. as of early February anyway. Got it. Got yep. it. And if someone's listening to this later in the year, you'll probably be teaching again 2023. I hope to be. Yes, I would love yes. to be invited back. Um, yeah. I also have my own lighting and posing workshop in June this summer oh. that's uh, in the Texas Hill Country. So you'll be doing lighting and posing um, at the San Antonio Missions. And then we will be doing oh, nice. two nights of Astro and Milky Way shooting that we're about to talk about. So it's an all-in-one. You can attend some of the parts or you can attend all nights. Love it because they don't have to wait for West Coast School. They can just hook into what you're offering and yeah. Um, yeah I've been wanting to get out to West Coast School for years I I can't seem to break in over there so no? oh. yeah well, maybe we'll send this off to the powers that be <laughs> here in California um, because absolutely we can use some tips on on not tips but deep learning about lighting as yes. well as um it's June, so there's still good night sky photography available, right? Yes. If you're in a dark enough area, there's a lot of considerations. I'm probably jumping ahead to what you're about to ask me. So why don't we jump into that? Well, so I just had one true confession <laughs> is now I do love finding natural light as a children's photographer, uh, dealing with all that that involves outdoors and and equipment is yeah. something that just you know like I am one of those actual true natural light photographers that wow is using you know shape and light in the eyes and all those things um are you using reflectors as fill or what do you not, do not you usually identify the best lit place and go for it that has the best highlight shadow yeah I just know the principles of how to find great light and then how to work with it so yeah I think of, I look for places that have overhead, um, the overhead blocked so you don't okay. get the raccoon eyes. And then I look for a window that is my softbox air quotes. And um, it, it, some people start with the background first. And when you're doing on camera or not on when you're doing additive lighting, you can yes. pick your location with the natural light, I have to find the lighting first and then see the background. Um, so my true confession is I have never understood guide numbers on, on, on flash photography. That's what they're called. I don't called. use guide numbers either. I don't even know what they are. Uh, well, that's when, when I was trying to learn um, strobe photography, that's all they talked about was was the I don't use a light numbers. meter even though I know a lot of people do and have great success with it um, I look at light first location second and then I have some recipes that are go-to's that I go into certain areas with and then I adjust from there ah okay so I'm going to give myself a little a little uh, grace yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, not I mean understanding something that it it isn't something you use yeah, you know, it's it, not it's not something you shouldn't learn. It's just I don't need it in my daily workflow. Right. So right. therefore I don't teach it. Right. When I did weddings, um uh the the best lighting tool was the Vivitar 285s. Cool. And I learned uh 
just how far I could stand if the camera was at f4 and I had it on purple I learned oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> and you know it was it was a very simple uh you know there was no TTL none of that so okay so I guess I did learn you know just give myself a little more credit because I learned that's right you should how <laughs> how it all worked because with weddings you have to do flash photography and especially when you know I was stuck with an ISO 200 uh you can't be getting anything if you don't yeah. add light like coming up the aisle all of that you know is nothing so okay Thank you for that. I feel much better about <laughs> validation. Yeah, <laughs> I made it work. Okay, <laughs> so it's something that I have absolutely loved. I've only done it once myself in a cool location, which was the big island of Hawaii up on the top of the volcano. Um, but night sky photography is um, something that I know people would love to learn more about. And um, I know that's one of your passions. So, so what do we need to know about that? And I'd love, <clears throat> I'd love some doable action as well as like an overview of, of night sky photography. So what do you got to share? Wow. Okay. Um, this is my 18th year. I've been doing night sky photography for five of those years. I, you know, I think that um, I think the hardest part of teaching newbies at night is that some of them come out and they don't know their camera well enough to operate mm -hmm. in the dark. So if I get somebody that has a brand new camera and they don't know the settings and all, I will do my best to mentor them before we ever get out to the workshop. Because mm -hmm. <laughs> once you get in the field, I want, the most important thing to know is that everything is harder in the dark. Right. Whether it's knowing your camera, focusing, um, getting around, just walking. So mm -hmm. we do a lot of scouting during the day because of that. Um, all of my my night sky photography is done and planned using photo pills. P-H-O-T-O-P-I-L-L-S. It's the best $9.99 you'll spend. It helps me plan the location, the direction the Milky Way will rise, the time that it's going to be out. It is the best app that I've bought for the last five years. Photo pills, like yes. taking a pill? Yes. Cool. So yeah. it's an app. And how does that app help you? It helps me plan the adventures with GPS. It helps mm -hmm. me understand where and when the Milky Way will rise, where and when the moon will rise, the direction of the star trails. Mm. And it helps me overlay, like the image you're seeing behind me right now, it helps me overlay that trail on an object. So a night AR, night out augmented reality, you overlay it, put your camera up in the sky, hit the night AR button, and it shows the direction of the stars that would rotate by that object. Oh. And you could do that during the day. So we understand the terrain better. We're not scared. You know, when we get at night, we know where the hills are, where the bumps are. So we do scouting during the day. I have, like I said, I teach a whole workshop on this sure, of course. because it's very hard to do, obviously, in person, I mean, virtually like this. Um, but if you're giving overall tips, you have to have a tripod. You can't do anything without a tripod for night sky. Right. Um, and then you need to understand composition. You need mm. to understand that a good 
uh, a pleasing image is going to have a foreground, a midground, and a background. So okay. if it's your first time ever, go ahead and point the camera up to the sky, get your, get your Milky Way, get your trails. It's important that you understand that that's an amazing part of this experience and falling mm -hmm. in love with night sky photography. But after that, your professional photography side should kick in with composition. And you should understand that to make it more appealing, you need layers and levels. So you start searching out monuments in the back or mm. cool rocks or cool churches in the, in the foreground that you can light paint and add some light on. Mm. So composition should come into it after you get your first fill of your wow moments. Right, <laughs> right. Because I've seen a lot of yeah. Milky Way sky where it's the sky. And the first few times it's like, wow. And then it's when people like you that, that put things in the foreground that are telling stories using that composition. So that's yeah. a great tip. Now, so you, uh, yeah, you need a tripod, you need a wide angle lens, something okay. that can open up to at least 2.8 on the aperture. You have to be able to collect light. So if you come out there with a kit lens from Best Buy that only opens up to 5.6, you're going to struggle hard. Mm. So use lensrentals.com and get you something that works for the night skies. Okay. Um, Is there an, uh, f-stop that is preferred how do you decide i i don't f-stop yeah you okay. know it depending on what you're shooting so there's not a magic bullet number that i can give you to go out with this it's by the subject that i teach what there's something for night trails or star trails there's something for milky way um, there's a different one when we're doing light painting so I, I don't want to get too technical into all that, but right. um, you do need a lens that can collect light. So having right. something that can open up to 2.8 or, or 1 point something is going to benefit you highly. Oh, okay. Well, that's helpful. That's uh, not the aperture that you're going to use for everything, but you need the capability to open up. Right, right. Because there might be situations where you'd like to have the shallow depth of field. You know, it, it's, it's kind of, it's it's counteractive to what you might be thinking. You might be thinking, why would I shoot a night sky at 2.8 when that doesn't seem like that's going to focus and give me everything that I need? But when you're focused to infinity, you don't have to worry about using a 2.8. Mm -hmm. You're going to you're going to have the stars in focus. Right. So that's why we focus. We we understand. We we practice and we step off infinity. Um, and we focus, sometimes students will even camp out and they'll focus in something in the distance in the daylight at sunset. And then they'll mm. tape their lens ring down and won't bump the tripod. And then, then they're already focused for the nighttime. Oh. I don't often have that kind of luxury because I'm typically um, not in the space that I'm going to be at all night. Mm -hmm. uh, so there's a specific um, algorithm numbers on the PhotoPills app for your lens, for your body, for your mm. aperture that tells you how many feet to step it off to make sure that you're focused. Got it. It would stink to go home with an entire 500 images on your camera for star trails when they're not in focus. Yes. So it's, it's really important <laughs> that the focus is the number one thing that we work with, um, especially with newbies outside. Um, thank you. That makes total, total sense um, to me having done that one experience of putting part of a volcano in a picture rather than let's point up to the sky and just ooh ah later. Mm -hmm. um, okay, had a quick question about that. Um, well, it'll come back or it won't. So is there, 
where you live when it's like, oh, it's the perfect, perfect time. Is there an area you love where you live? Is there part of the planning with night skies is going to night sky? Uh, I'm sorry, darksightfinder.com. And that mm -hmm. way you understand the Bortle scale, B-O-R-T-L-E. Uh, it's very important that you are not in an area that is yellow or white or red or any of these. Basically from Houston over to the east, eastern seaboard, they don't see the stars. Okay. Um, so going when you, when you see this website and you look for uh, a night sky map, that kind of thing, you'll understand that the western part of the U.S. around the national parks, like Big Bend National Park on the border of Mexico and Texas, it's about nine hours from where I am, but it's the darkest point in the whole U.S. to shoot. So when Ooh. you're there, that's when you, you need some dark skies. Got so it. now we don't have the luxury of being able to go to Big Bend every weekend. So when I want to practice locally, I still have to go 90 minutes to two hours to even be able to get to a blue zone, much less a, a, a green or a gray or a black like Big Ben would be. Mm -hmm. So any if you're near a major city, you're, you're not going to be able to do your night sky appropriately. That's a good tip. Um, we have my friend that is just crazy about night sky photography. Uh, she has some places here in San Diego that are up in the mountains, believe it or not, here in San Diego, we do have some mountains and she'll also go east to our desert. So that's a really great point uh, is you need it to be actual dark. Now, Hawaii, I was in Maui um, on August 11th, which is a meteor shower time. And the, the stars were super bright on the beach is Hawaii a potential because unless you're in like Honolulu, uh, just in theory, do you think an island has potential <laughs> for more? I dark suppose skies? if you are facing um, the the part of the sky that doesn't have the city light burning into it, uh huh. Which so is, it would be all about the map and looking at Dark Side Finder right. to understand right. what direction of trail you're trying to record. Got it. So. Is there a way to monetize the night sky photography? Is this a more of well, a yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I've my fine art division now has um, Star Trail and Milky Way and light painting uh, images for sale as uh, metal and canvas and uh, framed art. So uh, my fine art division has been extension of uh, sales for this. Um, I've done a couple of art shows. I'm getting my feet wet in that. Uh, the first one by bomb because it was the wrong target market okay. completely. Um, so I'm learning with art shows. Mm -hmm. um, and beyond that, you know, sharing my love through workshops with nice guys. Mm -hmm. We've gotten well, to the point now where enough people want to come in the dark with me. I, I call it fun in the dark with Alison Carlino. because <laughs> That's what it is. And yeah. that's, we've got enough people now that really want to try this, but they really don't want to go out by themselves. Right. So workshops helps me monetize it. Yes. Um, and when you talked about doing senior photography and how you can take them out in the dark and do light painting and some different kinds yeah. of things, I would guess that understanding and being comfortable working at night adds to your, uh, like your toolkit of things that you can do that others can't do. Am I yes. Right on that? Yeah, I guess so. Sure. 
Okay. So um, we're just about um, out of time. Is there any, so I have two questions for you. One is how do people get in touch with you if they have questions or they want to know more about where you're going to be, where you're going to be teaching? Like what's the best way yeah. to uh, there's there's two top ways that I'm checking all the time. Uh, one of them is direct email. I don't mind giving that out to my uh, business as my staff all pulls out of this inbox, but I also answer all my emails from here. Okay. Uh, studio at carlinosweb.com and I'll spell that S-T-U-D-I-O at C-A-R-L-I-N-O-S web.com. Great. So that goes to my studio box. And then from there on Facebook and Instagram, and that would be Carlino's Photography, C-A-R-L-I-N-O-S Photography. And so from that, they could find your um, workshops. And yeah, my workshop flyers are posted up there. There is a dedicated section on my website to all the things that I'm teaching in 2022, 2022, excuse me. Uh, so the website is www.carlinos Great. So the last question is just an, an opening for you to either share a last thought, or if there's some nugget that you think, oh, I really wish I had, uh, talked about this as well that this is an opportunity for you to have the last word or a last thought keep your skills up stay current stay ahead of the trend and in order to do that research what your style is understand who you are what you gravitate toward and people that like that will book you i love it um so reminder to my listeners that I will be doing uh, a little bit of a summary, you know, a little, a little quick, uh, what did we learn today? So stay tuned for that. And Allison, I am so happy that we got to meet virtually here. And um, I got a lot of great tips. And I appreciate you. Um, helping me not feel like a loser around flash photography that's okay you're brave to jump into something that you don't know that's uh, kudos to you for yeah that. well you know and i used it for 12 years in weddings so oh, okay excuse you me. know yeah you just always think there's something I, one of the ways that i was able to get into photography is when they invented cameras where you could set the shutter speed and it picked the aperture so I could get a decent photograph without having to learn what now it is so easy to me f-stops and shutter speeds and exposures yeah, right. and all that and flash was one of those that I would study and they would talk about these guide numbers and I just always felt like technically maybe there was something that I was missing missing yeah <laughs> and, and it used to be quite the man's world so there was a lot more uh, technical conversation during workshops and things that I would sort of be like, oh, wait, I don't understand that. So maybe I'm not legit, even though, you know, I've made a living for 40 years, <laughs> but we all have our little places. So you give me that peace of mind. Absolutely. <laughs> anyway, so I'm just so glad 
that we've had this chance to chat. And I know there are people listening uh, that have gotten some great tips and will be looking for ways that they can learn more from you in a yeah. Real life I'd love to see them in the June workshop. If you're looking to come to the Texas Hill Country, there's still three, possibly four spots left open. So great. All right. Well, thank you so, 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 so much, Allison. You're welcome. Thank you. Thanks for coming back. I know you didn't know that that we were gone, but we're back now. <laughs> and I just love having people on this show that are teaching some things that are, um, well, with, with flash photography, adding strobes, you know, it's just adding to the, the toolbox of how to be um, creating images that we love, that our clients love. So I love, even though this is a uh, podcast about being profitable, it's important that we're good at what we do. So um, that was fun. And let's see, so my summaries, uh, we talked about the importance of getting education and she mentioned finding people locally if you feel like you can't take the time away to go to a week-long class or a convention or financially, that there are local people who, um, contrary to some people's opinions, there's a lot of people that are happy to share what they know with others. And so find some local support. And then we talked about off-camera flash and how you can get beautiful skies, you can direct light, you can do so much when you know how to use these um, tools that are available to us and how we can stand out from, from others and from the, like with high school seniors, from the high school senior that's doing senior photography for their friends well, they can't do what you can do when you have more tools in your toolbox. Um, and then we talked about night sky photography and she said, you need to know your equipment because working in the dark is not easy. We, uh, she suggests scouting during the day. So if you're doing a location far away from you, getting there early so you know the lay of the land and you pick where you're going to shoot and what you want to do before it's dark and you can't see what's there. Um, she mentioned number three, there's an app called Photo Pills, P-I-L-L-S, that helps people plan when and where and all kinds of other good things. Number four with night sky, the need for a tripod, a wide angle lens. Um, six is about learning composition. It, you know, just with everything we do in photography, it's not simply about pointing the camera to a subject, taking a good exposure and calling it art. Uh, so understanding those principles will make everything, but especially night sky photography more interesting. And understanding that we need to find dark skies and close to cities, we're not gonna find many. So that is, um, I think she said photo pills helps with that. She is selling her night sky photography on her website at art shows. 
And um, we didn't really delve too much into that. But um, anywho, I hope this gives you some inspiration to, if you're not using your um, using additive lighting to experiment, to learn more about that so that you're a choice. As I said in the conversation, I love finding natural light, but there are times when I need to pull out a, a great image and let's say at the beach and it's overcast and I have to add, I have to know how to use additive light. So um, the more we know, the more profitable we can become. And uh, that is it for now. Believe it or not, it's a little bit of a rainy day here in San Diego. So um, it's been nice to just be cozy here and in my office and uh, meet someone new and share it with you. So um, that's it. Sending a big hug to you from wherever I am to where you are. Bye. You have been listening to The Highly Profitable Photographer with Lucy Dumas. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please rate, subscribe, review, and share. To connect one-on-one -on -one and learn more about our coaching programs, just go to lucydumascoaching.com. Until next time, go have fun photographing and selling your work.